All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to uh, a special edition, I guess, of Saber Sims Office Hours. Uh, you might also be listening to this on the podcast feed for Behind the Sims. We're going to be putting this up there as well. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim, and I've got our two data scientists, Eric and Will, with me here today, uh, who have been working really hard the past, what has it been, guys, month, two months on the brand new golf sims and model? Yeah, just about. Cool. Yeah. So we just put this out uh, yesterday, actually, obviously the, the fresh new year of golf starting this week uh, and wanted to have these guys come on and talk a little bit about the new model, uh, how it works, what we've improved upon from the old sim uh, and just answer some questions for you guys. Obviously here live looks like uh, we've got a few people joining us live here as well. So uh, we'll go ahead and just get into it. We have a lot to get into here. Wanted to start right off the bat just to ask both of you guys, uh, why are sims valuable for golf in particular um obviously we have the ability to generate projections for a sport and publish projections and ownership and call it a day uh but taking the extra step here to generate uh full simulations for golf so what's important about sims and golf why did we go about it this way here uh yeah so i'll, I'll start um i think sims are really valuable because they can sort of recreate like a possible outcome of a golf mm -hmm. contest. Um, and that can really help with like sort of hidden correlations or things like that. Obviously, if you have two very high end golfers, they can't both come in first place in like an actual result. Um, and that's something that like mean projections don't necessarily capture, or at least not as well as an individual sim that might capture that, you know, if this guy's coming in first, that means this other person at best is coming in second and that limits some of their upside. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of sort of like, you know, hidden things there that mean projections will miss. Um, and then especially with showdown, it's like really valuable on, you know, the different types and especially round four with finishing position. Uh, I think there's a lot of, of interesting edge that can be captured there. Yeah. And just kind of to add on to that, I think too, um, one of the unique pieces of golf is the cut. And obviously mm -hmm. we aren't going to see that this week, but, uh, with the SIM approach, we're going to see sort of those top golfers miss the cut every now and then. Um, and they're going to score like 20 fantasy points versus getting through the cut is just like an automatic, you know, like. 60 fantasy points or whatever. Um, so you have a very split distribution, uh, as you can see on the screen there, um, that where you're like that we're actually modeling uh, and not just looking at sort of one, one point number. Yeah, no, it, it, it is interesting here. Um, it kind of almost reminds me, and for, for folks listening to the podcast feeds, you've got the, the distribution for um, Adam Hadwin here pulled up for last year's. This is the Canadian Open, right? Uh, Eric, is that correct? Yeah. So no cut is, this yeah. week. Wanted to do a sim for uh, an event last year that did have a cut. And yeah, I mean, these distributions are are pretty unique. Um, almost kind of reminds me of an MMA-like distribution um, with kind of the, the bimodal there, missing the cut, making the cut. Just something very hard to capture in an average projection that's intended to sum up the entire range of outcomes of, of what could happen there. So um, when we're talking about the sim itself, I think one thing that's kind of always interesting, like what do, what is actually going on behind the scenes? Um, I, I always use the expression under the hood. Uh, if somebody could kind of like look under SaberSim and see the golf sim in action, uh, what's going on there as, as we're simulating a tournament? 
Yeah, so I can kind of start with this one. Uh, so really, uh, one of, I guess, the, the benefits of golf and all of the data that's involved in golf is you really can, you know, explain back and so we can look kind of backwards. So what we started with for the sim was we wanted to generate essentially a player skill or sort of like a power ranking um, for a player in a tournament. Uh, and so we do that by incorporating things like odds, um, sort of other more like black box methods uh, that all go into this generation of our power ranking for a player. Uh, and we can do that for, you know, tournaments like the Canadian Open uh, in 2022. And, you know, we can do that for the Masters in 2021. Um, and then what we can do is we can run a regression to try and predict uh, the round scores. So uh, this sim as it currently sits is a round by round sim. And so we're sort of taking that power ranking and we're saying, okay, you know, historically players around this skill level, what does rounds look like? So, you know, how, how often do they shoot a minus two round, how often do they shoot a minus one round? Um, and we're doing that sort of for all of the players in the field. So how does that change basically the way that we think about a given golfer, that golfer skill level as a, a season goes on, basically? Like if we have a golfer that maybe gets off to a very hot start, maybe better than we would have expected based on our scale rating, how are we going to adjust throughout the year for that new performance? Yeah, so that's that's like my my baby is yeah. the uh, is basically handling how much to trust new data, how much new data do we need to see to like fully change it? Because obviously, as any new data comes in, it's immediately getting incorporated in the model. But depending on you know how much previous data we have, um, other sort of mathematical concepts to discount the new data, uh, it it changes how much we can fluctuate it, and so. I think that, you know, we will adapt, but we'll probably be slower. I think a lot of at least golf news that I've seen is uh, very quick to like mm -hmm. jump on, you know, like as soon as if you are having three good tournaments, you're now the favorite in the next one. And that doesn't really line up with uh, like some of the data. So it's much more like, you know, you have peaks, you have valleys, but your skill can change. But uh probably not as quickly as other sources think. And I mean, do you guys think that just kind of in general, that short term, short term performance is overvalued by, by the field for that reason? Yeah, I, at least I do for sure. I don't know about you, Eric. Yeah. I, and I, I think you can see it in some of the showdown ownerships. Um, I know that when showdown like first came out, it was, crazy like showdown for golf when it first came out it was crazy um how inflated the ownerships were in round two of like the round one leader mm -hmm. where it, like obviously you want to incorporate that round but it isn't um you know it, it shouldn't be that big of an effect so definitely agree that the recent form stuff is often sort of over valued and as we're kind of tracking performance throughout a season and, and incorporating, you know, recent form, longer form form, how are we accounting for uh, like the different maybe reasons why a golfer might have had success? Like, 
are we going to differentiate between, you know, maybe a golfer who like just putted extremely well in a given tournament, which is, is kind of a higher variance thing, or like, is that different than a golfer that's like, you know, added distance to his average drive or something like that, which would theoretically maybe be a little bit more reliable for predicting future outcomes. Is there a difference there basically in like the way that we're giving credit to certain factors for why a golfer may have had a good event or a bad event? Yeah. So I, I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but one thing that we are working on and uh, like near-term improvement is switching to a hole by hole simulator from round mm -hmm. by round. Um, and within that, the, within the hole by hole simulator of the work that I'm doing, we definitely uh, isolate the different types of performances, uh, just like the standard types of shots gained data. Um, you know, there's putting maybe more variant than driving and things mm -hmm. like that. So we definitely make, you know, important distinctions there and how much to address individual data points in those categories. Uh, at a round by round level, I don't think that we're doing that unless Eric, do you? Yeah, no, we're, we're not sort of at that granular level uh, with the round by round stuff. Um, we like sort of take it into account in our generation of that player skill, but it isn't something that's explicitly uh, mentioned as like, oh, this person has gained five strokes putting last round. So like maybe that round isn't sort of all it's cracked up. To. Gotcha. And, you know, one other question I had is, when we've done this stream in the past, we've done this for Formula One and, and NASCAR um, and, and MMA and, and all of these different sports we've added new sims for recently. Uh, what's kind of unique about golf, at least like for Saber Sim, is that this is a, a new version of the model. But I mean, we had an existing model in place before we had existing sims in place. Um, I don't know like how uh, detailed you guys know how the old model worked, but I'm curious, just like in a general sense, what has like improved here? Or like what is like really different about uh, the, the 2023 now version of the, the Saberson golf sims than what we were using for last season. Yeah. So I think really one of the pieces that we kind of especially wanted to start with was just simplifying to get to like a good result. Um, the previous model was a whole by whole model. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that type of model is if there's any in sums or in any probability, it just gets rolled and rolled and rolled because you're, you know, choosing probabilities 18 times in a round. Uh, and so that can cause sort of cascading effects where one wrong assumption or, you know, a weird data point or something is just going to kind of turn the model and like just turn it loose and into whatever. Um, and so we really have really started, we want to start with like a good foundation um, of a model that's well calibrated to like real life results, essentially. So you had mentioned that we're doing round by round sims right now, but we want to add hole by hole here. Are there concerns about like that same issue you've just described presenting in the new version now here? Or what are we kind of thinking about? to counteract that like compounding bad assumptions issue when we move this to a whole by whole sim. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely, there is that risk in it. It's just sort of a, obviously you work to reduce that risk, but mm -hmm. you know, because we are doing 18 times as many samples, the compounding is, is just going to occur. Uh, and so that's, you know, part of the reason that we've, 
put a lot more time like on the whole by whole side and it's taking a bit longer is um, really what we're trying to do is sort of like ground it a bit more. Um, and so it's not just uh, like, it's not just based on historical holes or something like that, that the golfer has, um, but it incorporates more things like the player's performance on that type of par or the course performance on that type of par, like how do par threes play at Augusta uh, versus par fours versus par fives. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's obviously more things that we're incorporating there, but I think it does a good job of keeping it uh, near where it needs to be. Uh, and that hopefully will do a good job. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited with some of the progress that we've seen on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, kind of on that note, how are we taking into account, or I guess this is going to be kind of a broad question, but uh, I, we'll start here. How are we taking into account like certain skill fit things uh, like you've kind of described there, are, or maybe after we go to the hole by hole, how will we be taking that into account? I know that's something that people look into a lot, um, you know a certain course might be well suited to uh, people that drive the, the, the ball a, a far distance or, um, you know, maybe putters or, or ball strikers or whatever. Um, how are we taking into that into account? Is that affected in the way that we're like looking at the golfer skill for a given event? Because a, maybe a, a golfer that uh, does drive the ball longer treated as a more skilled golfer for a course where, where driving is important. Is that something that we're looking into or, or how is that kind of captured? Yeah, so I, I think that the biggest way that we capture this is splitting it by par type. So we have a, a different prediction model for a par three than a par four than a par five. Uh, and so that allows them to have separate weights for it. Uh, so, you know, a par five is probably going to weigh higher on off the tee, like how well you're driving the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas like a par three is you're around the green and putting. Uh, and so we do break it out based on those types and that will sort of lead itself into i feel like course fit if you will a bit um you know if a course has more par fours par fives and you know is a driver heavy course mm -hmm. uh, then we're going to favor better drivers than we are other players um, so it does sort of get incorporated that way but i think the largest point is is through splitting it up by par type i, I think too like you kind of hit it on the head with the player skill. Um, and so through whether it be like Vegas odds or, you know, something like that, we're, we're definitely um, attempting to capture a piece of that. The only real difficult part is like, we don't know how much of this is like course history um, and how much of this is recent form or like how much of this is skill fit. Um, but we do think that like that is getting essentially baked into our skill prediction for, for the player. Is course history, I, I, I guess, is course history something that is kind of explicitly taken into account? I know that's something people always dig into, especially for, um, you know, stuff like the masters where it's played every single year at the, the, the same place. Is that something that is like explicitly captured in the model, how golfers have performed at uh, different courses in the past? Yeah, so not explicitly. Um, mm -hmm. What we're hoping with that is that the market is sort of accounting for that in the right amount. Um, and then so if if we're, you know, using the market as an input, um, then that's helping us to sort of account for that. So, uh, you know, definitely if you look at, yeah, stuff like the Masters, Masters, it's like Jordan Spieth, 
is going to be a significantly like have a higher chance to win in um, like in the Vegas odds at Augusta versus if it was the exact same field somewhere else. Um, so it's not explicitly taken into account, but uh, definitely it is getting baked into to sort of our thinking. Yeah, and I think that Vegas is probably the best way to go about capturing that mm-hmm. just because there's sort of a blend between course fit and course history. Right. Um, you know, course history, realistically, you don't have that great of a sample size for a lot of golfers. Uh, and so if you just tell me what, this guy has shot the last three years at Augusta, you know, I, that's hard to really draw a lot of meaning from, but if that is because it is well suited to how well he drives the ball or other things like that, that's something that betters and the market in Vegas is going to capture um, a lot better than just the raw data will, because people are, you know, wa- actually watching the golfers and, and making informed decisions about like how well a course suits them or not. And on the kind of a, a more strategic level, um, do you think that the, the field overvalues these things? Do you think this is like an opportunity to exploit this year? Or uh, do you think it might even be maybe a limitation? I don't, or do you, I don't know. Do you think additional research can add value to the odds themselves? Um, I guess what I'm asking is looking at things like, uh, you know, course history of a specific golfer or skill fit, does that seem like something more like let other people make mistakes or something that you think there's valuable research to be done to maybe even add value to the projections? I think I'm probably on the side of thinking that people overvalue it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would mean that the market overvalues it at least a little bit. Um, But it's also like, it's, you know, tricky. Golf is obviously a pretty like liquid market. So it's probably pretty efficient. Um, I think more on the ownership side, that's almost certainly like where people are going to go overboard. Like if you assume Vegas odds are efficient and then people are overplaying like recent winners at that tournament, I I feel like that is something where you can get an edge on it where it's not necessarily on the projection or the SIM side itself, but is on the DFS end of it. Another piece uh, without getting too far into the weeds on like, efficient market hypothesis and stuff like that. But if if you want to look at like the head-to-head market or something like that, where, you know, potentially we aren't looking at that specific matchup. So, um, you know, say for this week, it's like Jordan Spieth against Shoffley. And you see something there where like that is a two-way market. And the sort of theory behind that is, a two-way market will reach efficiency um, like significantly faster and will actually reach it versus a one-way market. I mm-hmm. think that you you could add some value there in just like, that's like a, an outright, oh, this player versus this player. You can bet both sides, so it's, it's not going to be inflated. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that would be sort of another aspect if you wanted to try not to like beat Vegas, I guess, uh, and instead just use other pieces of it um, to, to try and help the projections along. And just so I'm understanding correctly, the idea there would basically be like looking and seeing if the head-to-head market for two golfers like as a discrepancy against what's implied by the outright market for those guys. 
Like if yeah, okay, yeah, gotcha. and so I, I think like the the best example of it was uh, when Tiger was coming back. Like mm -hmm. I don't know when that was, two or three years ago maybe. Um, his outrights would be like very short. He would be in like the top ten in terms of outright odds. Uh, but because that was a one-way market, you couldn't like bet against him in mm -hmm. the outright market uh, versus when you got into sort of his matchups, he wouldn't be matched up against the top 10 guys. He would be matched up against like maybe the 20th like guy in the field. Gotcha. Uh, and so I think that occasionally those are just like a little bit more efficient and better reflect I guess like the the true skill level um, of a golfer, gotcha. like the true opinion of the market of a golfer. Right, that makes sense. Um, how is weather taken into account? I know that's especially the inevitable week here we get early in the season where weather is a, a big deal. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue this week, but how are we factoring in weather uh, into the Sims? Uh, yeah, I can take it. Yeah, for sure. We're uh, so right now we're not taking into account weather. Um, obviously, we know that the wave splits like do make a difference, mm -hmm. um, and I definitely would encourage people to make adjustments to projections. I know some people like to do groups um, based on the wave splits, but for right now, uh, we aren't taking into account weather. Uh, it was partially just like a data thing. And also we want to be intentional about how we're doing it mm -hmm. and just ensure that our final result, uh, we can be confident in and we can like put our, put our trust behind it. And, and just to add to that, uh, we do sort of like at a like scoring environment level, we mm -hmm. are factoring mm -hmm. in uh, like weather there. Um, obviously like if, you know, the, uh, it's intraday that we're not going to be adjusting golfers. Uh, but as far as like the global scoring environment and how weather impacts that, I think that we do probably do a pretty good job there. So when you say intraday, basically meaning we're not mid tournament, we're not adjusting for the weather forecast as it's changing, but we have a general sense of like what scoring average to par might be for the tournament as a whole. Correct. Based on weather. Right. And I imagine some of this is kind of factored into the odds as well, which is an input here as well. Uh, exactly. If the weather's like terrible the, and it's going to increase the variance of the tournament, it might kind of reduce the win ex expectations of the, the favorites. I mean, maybe I should ask you guys, like, what is your sense of like what weather does to a tournament? Or Eric, you mentioned adjusting projections or maybe setting groups. Like, let's assume, for example, that we had a tournament where it was going to be very windy. Like, what is the expectation of what that does to the, the DFS game for that week? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit tricky. Uh, of course, like I know there's times where people think that the wave split is going to go one way and it goes completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, I would say like in general, if if you feel like you need to make a change based on wave split, what I would personally do is like it's probably two points in either way. Like um, it it obviously is an impact um, and like there's obviously an advantage if you're just playing in an easier time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just, I would just caution about going overboard on like, 
oh, it's only going to be the Thursday AM guys who make the cut. Like that's right. probably that's probably not not quite going to happen. Um, but yeah, I would say, like I think I think if there's like a stroke difference, I think around two points in either direction um, kind of lines up with like the DK scoring and, and everything. Um, but a lot of that too is just personal preference and how you think that the wind is going to sort of impact the, the scoring environment uh, across the various waves. Yeah. And one thing that I've always kind of done in the past is basically only really tried to play weather angles a day out. I think it gets very hard, you know, even, even setting your lineups Wednesday night when the, when the perceived weather day is Friday, just adds so much variance and so much noise to how that could actually change. I mean, you mentioned it. Sometimes people are just certain that it's going to be the Friday PM. That is a mess. And then the weather gets shifted just a little bit and it comes that night after the rounds already been played, or it comes like much earlier in the morning and it flips everything on its head. I think there's at least, you know, in my experience of playing golf DFS for the past couple of years, like it seems that there's somewhat reliability on the weather forecast for the Thursday uh, round Wednesday night, but above and beyond that, it gets pretty hard to, to tell. Um, yeah, absolutely. J just to touch on one other thing, uh, that, that will kind of went over, um, with regards to like the scoring environment. Uh, I think it was in this tournament, like, well, last year, this tournament, the winner was like minus 34 or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then two years ago, I think the winner was like minus 15 and it was because of the wind. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of taking our best guess at the scoring environment, like before the tournament. Um, but if we see something in round one where, you know, maybe the, like the course underwent something and like that we didn't catch earlier and it's actually playing much harder, much easier, um, we'll be able to alter the scoring environment, like for the showdowns and everything. Um, while the tournament's in progress. So, you know, I, I think that that's another way that we sort of can get to the right scoring environment for for the tournament and for sort of each round in the tournament. And how does that scoring environment of a tournament change the way that golfers are projected? If, you know, what would be the difference of this course playing where the winner is expected to be minus 34 versus this course playing where the winner is expected to be minus 15? So, you know, I, I'm honestly not 100% sure on the answer to that. Um, my my intuition is that the, the easier a course is, um, it's probably better to have, like, or it's just going to be, like, a lower variance event. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the guys at the top are just going to be a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, honestly, I'm not hundred percent sure on that um i don't know will if you have any thoughts yeah uh, i'm also not entirely sure i think it's funny my intuition was the other way around <laughs> the easier courses the more likely the bottom guys would be able to to hit the same shots or, or do better and the harder courses are where the elite players are going to separate themselves um but I, I i don't feel strongly i've not thought about this a lot so just yeah it's interesting i think my like intuition is like 
would have been kind of in line with with Eric here. Um, but I, I yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure either. I mean, I think what like comes to mind is like on some of the the courses throughout the year that are like notoriously hard or like famously difficult, where scoring average like to par might be well over par. Um, it anecdotally, those feel like events where I've spread out my exposures and wanted to get kind of diverse. But maybe that's just like that might not say anything about like the actual fact of the matter of, of, of how the, the scoring ends up. So um, yeah, that's an interesting one, but um, one thing that always comes up, uh, especially when we put out these new models is our ownership projections. Um, how are we going about calculating the ownership? What's different now with ownership this year uh, compared to what we were doing before? Yeah. So our ownership is, like an algorithmic based ownership mm -hmm. uh really what we're trying to do when we build our ownership is to actually make lineups that are going to be played like in your contests um and so we're like you know we're optimizing essentially um to to try and get to the ownership projections uh which just then can incorporate like oh if there's a really good value like you know 6500 guy uh that's going to be played a lot well then obviously the you know the rest of the lineup has more salary and so mm -hmm. then it can start to inflate like it it really contains um the ownership projections to like how it actually is in in real life um so in general it's just kind of an algorithmic look uh, based on different sources and whatever else, you know, we're kind of seeing, um, another thing actually that we're there that we have added somewhat recently is just the ability to, um, make just like an override in terms of if there's something that we've seen that we feel like the market isn't taking into account. Um, and so actually if you scroll down sharply, um, we, yeah, we've made an adjustment on his uh, just to kind of reflect the fact that he pulled out from the pro-am today, um, is supposedly dealing with a back injury, mm -hmm. you know, might be a withdrawal risk from the tournament. Uh, so those are kind of the things that we want to manually go in and just kind of adjust because we know that like people are looking at Shuffley's projection, but they're also considering this other thing. Right. Um, and our algorithmic approach uh, can't see that he has potentially a back injury. So, yeah. And so some of the other like things we've been talking about here that I think people look into a lot for golf, you know, like recent, recent form was one that we had talked about, but also, you know, spectacular course history or like some of these other things. Are we also looking into the way that that's going to affect ownership and making adjustments there or is that one of when i like hosted office hours in the past and people would ask questions about golf one of the things that i always recommend looking into is like seeing if there's a particular narrative driving ownership for that particular week and then making an adjustment because last year that was not something we were looking at at all are we is that something that we're kind of factoring in this year or like are, is that uh, another thing that we might be manually adjusting for no, so I think that's more of like a manual adjustment. Um, okay. In general, like what we're what we're inputting to our ownership builder essentially 
uh, are basically point pro or point projections. Um, and so that, you know, that's really the basis of it. Uh, not like this, like the, the general feel of like the DFS golf community, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, I think you could add value in like, if you listen to podcasts, it's sort of like NFL where guys can just get like steamed by getting talked about on four different PGA DFS podcasts. Um, and you might be able to pick up on that. Whereas obviously our, our model can't listen to the podcast. So right. Not yet. Yeah, that's right. Will's yeah. working on that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk a, a little bit about showdown as well. Um, you know, first things first, how, how are the showdown Sims different than the main slate Sims, especially as the tournament is progressing? Like uh, one very common question, I think we got it from like three or four different users here uh, before the show was, are we, is the current tournament in input to the new Sims is the round one is what's happened in round one and input to the round two Sims for, for showdown. Yeah, so that's something um, that explicitly like isn't uh, in the sim. So, mm -hmm. you know, if if someone does extremely well round one, um, it's basically not going to alter sort of our power ranking or our player skill for them for round two. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that like the the data golf, the data golf guys uh, put out a post on that talking about like the last round is worth like 2% or something. So it is a small, but, you know, obviously, like there is some signal there. Uh, I, I will say that that piece is likely overvalued within the showdown context. Mm -hmm. um, and so not having it, obviously we, we want to include that in the future and like we're aware. think we lost you a little bit there. We're good? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So you, you were yeah, saying that this is something we do want to add in the future, but... Yeah, essentially we want to add in the future, um, but it isn't necessarily the worst thing just to, to not have it, uh, mm -hmm. given that the field is probably overweighting it uh, in, in showdowns. Yeah, and I mean, you can see that in ownership like actual ownerships when the cards flip over for round two, that like the guy that shot minus seven and is leading the leaderboard will be extremely high owned compared to like, if, if almost, if you think about it, if those rounds had just happened out of order, like the ownerships would have been very different there. So um, one, one question though, obviously round four showdowns in particular where final leaderboard position is such a big part of a player's score. Is that captured? I mean, we are kind of account accounting for the fact that, you know, the golfer leading heading into round four actually is very much advantaged or at least theoretically somewhat advantaged than, you know, the guy that's in 20th place just based on that finishing score. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we have the, the at the start of the round four sim, if you will, it's, it's taking in their current score and their current position on the leaderboard. Gotcha, cool. And I mean, your guys' thoughts just in general, like about showdown will i mean i know you had a lot of success like with like even just some single entries last year in golf showdown we were talking a little bit before the stream about um 
just the edge in showdown in general i mean is this a game type that you'd recommend people checking out especially if they haven't like played much golf dfs or have been focusing mainly on main slates in the past yeah I, especially with sims i mean that this is like a, a very significant uh at least in generating like sort of the optimal lineups and everything like that uh, mm -hmm. i think that you can generate a lot of edge using simulations and round four specifically because uh, golf is is sort of like an uncorrelated sport outside of you know the tea times weather mm -hmm. uh, and then in round four there's like some real correlations um and i think that that sudden switch up is definitely something that the field isn't doing optimally um and so you know, using simulations to, to figure out what those are, how lineups should look, given those uh, is a pretty significant edge for sure. What does that correlation look like? I'm, I'm curious to to hear more on that. You said like there's correlation introduced in round four. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it, it ties back to my earlier point of like two golfers can't both finish first. Um, and so golfers that are, you know, starting further back like it you know if you have the person in first and then the person in 20th if the person in 20th is finishing first they're negatively correlated with the person who started in first because they've now lost position interesting sense. yeah it does it almost reminds me a little bit we had talked about this a bit when we were doing the the nascar model stream where you know like the driver starting in first and the driver starting in second like probably have some negative correlation because the the upside outcome for either of them is basically dominating the track and like leading and having fastest lap every single time that kind right. of thing interesting yeah okay yeah and just I, I guess to add to that like just kind of to illustrate the value of sims itself is like there there could be a tournament where you have two guys like way out in front before round four uh -huh. um and they're obviously like negatively correlated from like they both can't win but given like you know, you're, you're still accounting for those second place points and those first place points on top of what they're doing. Uh, and so the sim really allows us to like capture every single data point um, that like that's actually going to happen in the sim. And so even though they're negatively correlated, like it definitely, there definitely could be a ton of situations where I think it's like eight points per second that like more than makes up for the negative correlation. So for sure. interesting. And but average projections are not going to capture that at all. I mean, they're going to basically split the difference between all of the, the possible finishing things um, and, and, and lose out of that. OK, interesting. I personally, I haven't uh, played too much showdown in particular. I played the main slates for most of the tournaments the past couple of years. Uh, but I think with the, the sim, the new sims in particular, I think I will uh, at least be checking it out here a little bit. Um, one question that I, I had as well is, have we done any analysis on like this model as like a comparison from what we had before to like prove that this is kind of better or just demonstrate how accurate we are here? Um, I'm curious if we've done any like, I guess, back testing basically on, on the new model. Yeah, so we, we haven't done anything sort of in comparison to the old model, um, mm -hmm. just we, we knew that we were replacing it and we knew that there were shortcomings with the old model. Um, we have done essentially calibration testing on the new model, which basically just means like when we're predicting something at, you know, an 85th percentile, 
we want to make sure that that's actually happening or yeah, that's actually happening like that percent of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and we found that the calibration is like very good. Uh, so I, I think like, you know, there's, there's not like a specific metric to point to, like, you know, to, to look at R squareds for golf doesn't really matter just with the mm -hmm. cut and everything. Um, but really what we care about is that our distribution is following what's actually happening in real life very closely. So is that kind of like at the player percentiles level, uh, what you were referring to, like making sure that the player's actually only scoring their 95th percentile, 5% of the time or whatever, is that the idea? Yep, that's that's correct. Gotcha, cool. Um, okay, I did wanna ask a little bit as well here about like kind of some more practical thoughts um, here. So, I mean, the first one, especially for somebody maybe new to golf, when is it safe uh, to start building or how much is, how much are new Sims going to run throughout the week? How much is like news affecting our Sims? Uh, that kind of thing, especially for somebody like brand new to golf and, and not really familiar with it. I think at least like my opinion on it is uh, it's going to be fairly static outside mm -hmm. of perhaps the impact of weather on scoring environment, like you had touched upon earlier. Um, so like, honestly, when they go up, I can't imagine that they're going to change too significantly uh, without it being something weird. Uh, so like my, my, at least my first take on it is when they go up, they're pretty close to what they will be at closing. Yeah. I think like, if you want to wait for the best information, I would wait till Wednesday. Just all of like in, in that way, all of the information is, is captured, you know, where like odds have moved. There's sort of been all of that, um, I guess like efficiency taking place. Um, and so I, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think Wednesday is like safe. Um, definitely it's, it's not like, it's not like NBA where six hours ago you could be completely outdated. Like, right. It's, it's not going to be like that. And so if you happen to build on a Monday or a Tuesday, like it's not like you're completely, you know, it's not like you're going to be, playing a guy who's now has a five minute projection. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you want to take in all of that available information, I think, I think Wednesdays, Wednesdays pretty safe. And the main thing to watch out there for would be withdrawals primarily that would, you know, shake up everything that would shake up the odds probably quite a bit, especially if it was a favorite, um, something to look out for. So for this week, definitely keep an eye on, on Shoffley here, um, for, for that. Um, I wanted to ask as well, you know, for somebody that maybe was doing a little bit more research and, and found something that, you know, you didn't think that the odds were taking into account or that the field was overlooking or something like that. Do you guys have any thoughts on like a general heuristic about how you would make an adjustment to that projection? Uh, Will, one thing you had mentioned when we talked MMA last year is to just basically be cautious with making like significant projection changes because of the way that affects the Sims where that, that fighter in that case is having like a very high upside outcome. Basically you can like be all of a sudden pulling from Sims that are impossible. Like, do you guys have any like general heuristics or rules of thumb about like how much would be too much for somebody to give somebody just a bump, maybe even that they wanted to get a little bit more of? Yeah. I think Eric touched on it when he was talking about like, if 
it's a stroke difference. Like if mm-hmm. you're you're expecting them to be say one stroke better than we are, uh, then uh, what works out to like two points, I think, is what you said. Um, like it's not you, you're we're, we're not going to be 15, 20 points off uh, mm-hmm. on on their average score. Um, so I I think really keeping it small and around you know two to three points is is probably correct. Unless you really disagree with us, if if like you you think Tiger is going to win, and you want to be all in on that, bump him more. Uh, but like if you're just assuming that most things in Vegas are efficient, etc., uh, you know, but you want to be a little bit higher on someone, then like two to three points is what I think. Perfect. Yeah, I agree. I think you know around sort of what like a birdie is worth in whatever you know, like whatever scoring you're, you're using. So if it's full, it's like three points, maybe like, I think anywhere in, in that sort of range is, is probably appropriate. Um, but I think, I mean, it, it depends how you want your lineups really. So, um, but uh, again, I think I'll echo Will's point and say just to be cautious with it. And, uh, one, one other thing here too. So when you pull up the, the default sliders here uh, for most contests, it, basically everything is pretty high sim diversity, like nine or 10 using like very close to single tournament sims or, or very small buckets of sims. And also pretty aggressive with uh, the ownership fade slider. I mean, a three or four, like uh, I would say relatively aggressive compared to something like NBA. Uh, I know we haven't like done a full re slider back test here for this new sim, but um what are your guys' thoughts on the 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 sliders in general i mean does this kind of feel in line with what you think strategically makes sense high variance uh high diversity and like a relative aggression with with ownership uh or i'm just kind of curious your guys' thoughts there uh at least personally i i definitely uh, the, the way that I've been building, at least for tomorrow's tournament, is, is running zero ownership fade, but max smart diversity, and then handling ownership of lineups like through rules or filters on like the second step, like once we're looking at the lineups. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, at least the way that I'm approaching it right now, I haven't obviously got to look at a ton of contests with our new sim and, and how that all looks, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming ownership is going to be reasonably efficient for like full slates, uh, like for the full like four day slates. Um, and so if ownership is going to be pretty efficient, then I mostly just want to optimize my ownership to be around the contest size so that I'm not, you know, I'm letting other people make construction mistakes uh, and letting my construction sort of give me the EV that there is. What would those construction mistakes look like? What do what what mistake would somebody make? Yeah, I think the biggest one is if people are playing too many uh low probability golfers, like if they're say maybe too aggressive on ownership fade mm-hmm. or on the other end if they're playing too chalky if they're getting duped and things like that. I I think it's trying to find the middle ground of like really almost finding the highest ownership lineups that aren't duped is is if you're assuming that ownership is efficient that's what you should be looking to do gotcha yeah i i think that's kind of in line with what i'm thinking here as well one of one of the angles that i was kind of coming at this from is 
you know, on NFL showdown, a lot of times I've told people once, if you're playing with sim diversity at 10, it almost makes sense to just turn ownership fade off and handle that post build. Like you were talking about to make sure that you're not like disrupting when you have sim diversity at 10, it's, it's kind of a very unique state where you're getting that single event optimal. But once you introduce ownership fade, you might not be because of the way that that calculation is taking place. So I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I, I am kind of curious. You mentioned like controlling ownership yourself post build. What does that look like for you? Uh, like what are some things that you're looking for? I mean, are you kind of envisioning like a max ownership ceiling that you just want to make sure you're not playing above and beyond? Or is it something that you're, I don't know, incorporating elsewhere? I, I'm just curious. Yeah, so uh, what I did was was just set up a... I, let me see what I can do exactly. But it was um, sort of taking uh, the product of the ownership. So if you multiply all six ownerships in your lineup um, and then doing one divided by that number, trying to get that to be close to what the um, like field size is. Um, so let me see if I can pull up what my rules were. No, that makes sense. So basically, like the idea is to, I, I've talked about the geome geometric mean rule in uh, office hours videos before, but basically trying to set up a rule for that to make sure that you're like playing a lineup with an expectation of being played about what's yeah. the idea. So yeah. I have, I just checked, uh, I have it as my geo mean to be between 16 and 22% uh, for the geo mean of ownership, uh, and then doing 0, 0, 010 within that. So Basically, give me what Saberson thinks the best lineups are that are within this bound of, like, um, I guess you'd call it leverage, like how frequent it's going to be the optimal. Interesting. Okay. Cool. I, I, I think, too, like this, you know, the, the current slate is pretty unique. Uh, mm -hmm. And really, we won't see these, like, this small of a field until. I think really like the end of the year. Um, and so like, I, I think that, you know, this, it's, it seems to me though, that like this week, you kind of want to treat it more like NFL showdown. Um, and then once we get into the big weeks where there's 160 golfers in the field, uh, you know, obviously you want to incorporate ownership, but it's just easier to kind of get to a non-duped build or, you know, something like that, uh, which I think is important to keep in mind just because we are starting with kind of a weird event. Right. Yeah. And, and this one, I think, is one where avoiding duplication is actually going to be particularly important. I mean, I, golf is kind of one of those sports in general where I think it's right on the edge of where, like, there will be lineups that are massively duped in any given contest. A lot of times they're optimals for different given projection systems. Uh, but this event, a smaller field, no cut, I think it's especially more likely uh, that like duplication could be really affecting the EV of, of lineups. So something to look out for there. Um, one, one question that we had gotten from people as well, uh, you know, in general, if maybe if you could give one, one thing that actually would be helpful to look into if somebody wanted to do a little bit more additional research, uh, what would that be based on like, you know, how we've, we've set this up here. Yeah. So uh, I can start with this one. Um, and this is kind of how we're currently taking our round score and turning it into DK points. Um, essentially what we are 
assuming there is that there isn't any variance in like how players are going to score. So, you know, I think that the best way to kind of explain it is an example. Uh, and so sort of the prototypical, like, just like only pars guy uh, used to be Jim Furyk, where there were so many times where he would go through a tournament and he would make 18 pars. And that was just, you know, that was the way he played. He was conservative, like, mm-hmm. you know, get it on the green two putt. Uh, versus the other end of the spectrum is maybe someone like Tony Finau, um, who is going to take more chances on par fives. Um, and the DK point scoring really favors the guys like now who are going to make both birdies and bogeys. Like, all else equal, you'd rather have your golfer make nine birdies and nine bogeys versus mm-hmm. just 18 pars. Um, but so currently in the stem, whether it was Jim Furyk or Tony Finau, we would be, you know, giving them the same probability of having like same type of round, I guess. Um, and so I think like if, if you find stuff like that, where someone is just like a super high variance player within yeah. the whole results, you can add some value there where, you know, this player is going to eagle a lot more but also double bogey um i think that's a spot where where you can improve a little bit um but again i think you can make mistakes there just from like you know if, if you're looking at like box scores uh and someone is playing a really easy course all the time like y- you sort of can infer the wrong way i guess uh so i just you know i think that that's a way to add value but it's not as simple as just like looking at, oh, who's birdieing the most? Because um, that has a lot to do with other factors rather than just the player's play style. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It kind of like leads in here well to this question. Does Saverson factor in birdie streak bonus probability or eagle probability? If I'm understanding you correctly, basically we as- would assume that golfers of the similar skill level in our in our ladder projected or in a given sim scoring the same amount of points in a given round are have the same probabilities of these events basically yeah yeah so we are we are factoring like those in so essentially when you know if say we choose a player is minus two for this round Mm -hmm. um we're kind of going to look through all of the historic ways that players got to minus two. So was it two birdies and 16 pars? Was it three birdies, one bogey, and then 15 pars? Like we are pulling from that. And um, we're pulling, I guess, from like the historical chance of each of those happening. Um, But again, there's no, like there's no differentiation between like, oh, golfer A, you know, might have a higher chance of this type of round versus uh, golfer B. Gotcha. And I do think that, just to add in real quick, that uh, in the hole-by-hole sim, we will capture that as well as what uh, Eric touched on in the last one, which is, like, the different aggressiveness levels of each player. Uh, So when we make the the switch to hole-by-hole in, you know, the coming few weeks, that all will be sort of captured naturally. So we'll almost pick up on like 
you said like golfer aggressiveness, like almost like like tendencies of the way that a golfer tends to. to right. So I, I haven't looked at like specific golfers, but you know, if Furyk has a much lower eagle rate and a mm-hmm. much higher par rate, that's going to be factored into how we ultimately predict him for any given tournament. Um, so like those, how aggressive they are, like, you know, does get reflected in how often they eagle or how often they double bogey, which then does get reflected in how we are predicting them to, in the future, eagle, par, double bogey. Will that take into account, like, context? Uh, Like, potentially a, you know, a golfer that is, like, chasing first in round four in a given sim, like, may play more aggressively to get there? I would really like it to. I don't think initially that it will. (laughs) I imagine that'd be hard to quantify, but I I feel like that's kind of an interesting... That is very interesting. And I think that might be something good to add on like round four showdown projections. That might be a good place to tinker. It's like, if we're not considering that, but the person in third, you know, needs to gain five strokes or something like that, they certainly are going to have more eagles, birdies, and bogeys and double bogeys than we might otherwise be predicting them for yeah that is yeah that's an interesting one there assuming um, that they're playing to win <laughs> yeah I yeah was, well I was maybe they're say, not i mean that's the other thing yeah like maybe they're like, fedex ranking or whatever um go yeah ahead. i mean even even like going like say you're in third place and your choice is to play aggressive and maybe get first but that's also going to shoot you possibly down to like seventh um you know the way that golfers are paid out is like it's based on your finishing position so um you know i think definitely like there's a potential that if someone is in third they're not just going to go like oh let me you know pull out the driver on this par four and potentially hit in the water like uh, i do think that there's the motivation there is um a little bit split where obviously they they want to get first but um, a, a third place payout is a lot more than seven. So, um, I know we are getting pretty close on time here. Um, and I, I know I just asked kind of a, a similar question uh, about like researching and making adjustments to projections, but to, to wrap us up, I'll kind of ask both of you guys, uh, you know, maybe one thing, uh, that you'd recommend somebody looks into and, and Eric, I guess if you are, if you've already said yours, that's fine too. But one thing you'd recommend somebody looks into, uh if they're maybe just starting golf for the first time want a little bit of a sweat this week uh and and wants to leave a little bit of an impact on their builds what do you think um yeah i mean i definitely think that like the you know that the variance of player i think is is probably my number one Mm -hmm. um like yeah i'll I'll just go with that I'm, i'm curious what to what will thinks on this yeah, I, I mean, honestly, mine is perhaps a little too nerdy in saying that it would be an ownership type thing. Um, I'd probably just like fade whoever won the last couple of years. Like if, if I'm not doing anything else and I want a sweat, I'd probably fade whoever looks like they're going to be overly chalky because of course history or something and just dropping them down a few points and then running. And I'll, I'll throw mine in as well. I, I think in golf in particular, it seems like people get very attached to a really tight pool of players based on some kind of perceived thing, whether it's like strokes gain data or, or 
course history or like whatever that thing is that week. Uh, and it makes the like what I think is one of the highest variance DFS sports way even higher variance. Uh, I would recommend uh, using a high sim diversity slider at the very least, but also um, avoiding making too restrictive of a pool. Um, I am definitely not the type to, you know, go into a golf event with 20, 25 golfers. Like I, I will probably have exposure to the majority of golfers in this pool in 150 um, because I think that the ranges of outcomes are pretty wide. There's a wide variety of, of lineups that are, are uh, profitable for something like this. So, yeah. And I'll also add to that, like, you know, the, the showdowns help with that too, right? You essentially have four mm -hmm. tournaments in a week instead of, uh, instead of just the one, which just can kind of help to smooth that variance um, just a little bit. Cool. So a couple final thoughts here. Um, first of all, if you are listening to this here or joining us for the first time, I see we have a couple first time people uh, in our chat, which is great. We do offer a totally free seven-day trial on our site, sabersim.com. You can come get signed up right now, uh, get a free seven days, check us out with our new golf sims for this tournament, but also get access to NBA through the end of the week, into next week, uh, the last week of NFL. Uh, we've got, obviously, spring slowly kind of starting to approach here as well. Uh, we have, you know, baseball, obviously, NASCAR, uh, other sports here for, for the warmer seasons. Uh, so definitely check us out if you haven't already. Uh, for the folks that are already in the community, I'm planning on having some more golf content here coming out for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I want to get a video out that kind of provides just some general strategy, some general advice to tackle golf DFS. But I think also uh, would love to hop on Andrew's office hours here sometime in the next week just to answer more general kind of strategy, savers and process type questions. I know there were a ton of those that came in leading up to this show that we didn't get into there as well. So uh, hopefully more golf content coming. Um, but in the meantime, Will, Eric, I, you know, really appreciate all the hard work you guys put into this. I'm super excited to check this out. And of course, a big thank you for coming on to the show and, and talking to me here about it today. Uh, but otherwise, in the meantime, um, I guess we will call it there. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. See you, everybody.